Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. You're with us on the Pilot's Advisor. Once again, Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming. You can call or text Ryan at 843-475-3038. If you have any questions, call or text 843-475-3038. Welcome to the podcast, and it's great to have you along with us today as we're going to be answering some of your questions on another mailbag edition of the show. If you'd ever like to submit a future question to be featured on the show, you can do that at FlemingFG.com. Ryan, you ready to go to answer some questions today? I'm always ready, Walter. Bring them on. I know you are. You are. Yeah, that's the life of a pilot, right? You're always always ready to go. Well, you got to be prepared for anything and, and ready re- to react. That's why good training comes into part, and you just do what you got to do. That brings up a good question before we hit these uh, the, these mailbag questions. What's the fastest you ever had to, like, you got notified, hey, Ryan, we need you to fly, and then, boom, you, you had to be there to fly. What was your quickest turnaround ever between, have you ever had, like, an emergency call like that where you had to be in the air pretty quickly after not even planning on it? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. I, mean, I can remember in the military, you know, you had to get off the ground because a base was getting attacked. <laughs> so that's kind of like, hey, let's throw this up and get out of here. Um, and then also... It's, it's kind of hard to top that one, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> from the airline perspective, when you are young and you don't have much seniority, you have to sit what's called a reserve. And of course, you know, then when the weather is horrible and all the old senior guys don't feel like flying, they call in sick. And you get a call where you have to show up to the airport and be in the air within an hour. So, yeah, been there, done that. And I like to think, you know, from my uh, sports background, when the lights come on, man, you just got to be ready to play. Yep, that's very true. You've, so you've got a lot of uh, bits and pieces in your background that kind of point you in that direction of always being ready to go. Well, since that is the case, let's not wait any longer. Let's fire some questions your direction. I've got this one from Beth in Florida. Beth says, I could sell my house right now for 500 k and I only owe about $100,000. I'm 57 years old, but thinking about selling it now, buying a smaller place, and using the extra cash to retire early. Is that a bad idea? Well, first off, I would like to say, Beth, uh, I like the the way you're thinking. And of course, we'd have to look into your individual situation to see if um, you are ready to retire and you have a sufficient retirement income. However, what she's thinking about is something that is definitely on retirees' minds and actually a great thing. I mean, what she has is $400,000 of equity that she can use to fund her retirement income going forward. And many, many people uh, need to downsize, you know, if it's just you or, or all the kids are out of the house. I mean, you, you might not want that huge house that really just is something that you have to clean um, when you can uh, downsize and live a little bit better retirement lifestyle. How, uh, how many complications pop up when somebody tries to retire early like that at, at 57? It's a lot earlier than sort of the typical or standard retirement age. Doesn't that bring with it some other complications? Well, absolutely. I think in this day and age, um, a lot of the things that we look at and study right now is that, you know, humans are just living longer. I mean, a lot of people think that they're only going to live to be 70 or 80. And and in many cases, we're planning for 30 years after retirement. Uh, the government in general is backing up the retirement age. It used to be 65. They're slowly working their way to 67. 
Um, and so if you're taking social security anytime earlier than full retirement age, of course, you're getting only a, a small part of what you've actually probably earned from the time you've paid into it over, over those years. So not only are you tapping into retirement assets early, um, and then you're trying to, to stretch them a little bit longer. So it creates a, a much different uh, situation. And so, and you know, and like I said, it's an individual case by case basis. But yes, there are so many, many complications for retiring at, at 57. Well, that's a great question, Beth. Thank you for sending that one into us as well. A lot of people run into that kind of situation where they're trying to figure out, do I sell the house? Do I downsize? Does it give me extra leverage? Why am I downsizing? Is it out of necessity? So many different little layers go into that uh, process and that conversation. So good to be asking that question now uh, before you sell the house. Go ahead and get the plan in place before you pull the trigger on the sale. Make sure that you're in good shape and ready to go. Again, you can reach out to Ryan if you want further guidance on this, Beth, or if you are in a similar situation and listening to today's show, email Ryan at ryan at flemingfg.com or go online to flemingfg.com and ask a question through the website. All right, let's hop over to uh, South Carolina and get a question from Dave over in your neck of the woods here, Ryan. Dave says, unless my company's entire board of directors gets in trouble for sexual harassment, which I guess is possible these days, I feel really confident about our future potential and growth. How much company stock is too much to own in my 401k? Well, Walter, I, I want to speak to this simply because I feel like I deal with this question many, many times. Um, whether it's a FedEx pilot, a Delta pilot, a Southwest pilot, all these pilots really, really want to own their own company stock. And you know, I feel like if you're working for the company, you have enough exposure to that company, unless, of course, they're selling you stock or giving you profit sharing stock or what have you at a discounted rate. I don't recommend buying any stock at full price for the company that you work for. You might feel like you have an inside track or inside information, but the reality is all the knowable information about that company is out there for many, many people to know and is in the price of the stock. And really what you're doing is just exposing yourself to too much risk. I mean, risk is the name of the game in in many cases that we, you know, almost every question we have here, Ryan, it's going to come down to risk in many cases and how that, you know, jives with a person's financial plan and attitude and, and goals and all that kind of stuff. And so company stock feels great, right? I mean, especially if you're, it just feels like you're getting more and more invested in a company that you're investing your life in. But uh, now you have more than just the market risk by being well, no, of course, no longer diversified. Of course. And I can tell a couple of stories if you want, you know, just, just, talking about owning individual stock in one company. Um, I think I've told this story before, but I got a couple others. Uh, the one I want to tell you is, you know, my, my stepdad, I mean, worked for GE for 30 years and GE was, you know, too big to fail. And it was a great performing stock over all those years. And, you know, he had almost a million dollars in GE stock. And I told him, you know, you, you know, Paul, this is uh, something that you need to diversify. And everybody knows that diversification you know, is the name of the game and they like to say the word, but they don't do it. People get emotionally attached to their stock. And of course it took him to where it, you know, was down to $400,000 before he actually reached out to me and say, please help. And of course, you know, the GE stock has gone down even since then. I mean, he could have lost it all. And another story. So we were at this uh, conference and we we're talking about stock picking and how, it may have hurt somebody in the past or maybe that they stock picked and how they learned a lesson from that. And 
a good friend of mine, Ronnie, shared something that should speak home to pilots. His father was a triple seven United captain. And of course, he had a pension that should have come out to be $11,000 per month. And he had all his money tied up in United stock. And of course, after 9-11, you know, it was a long, sad road, but United went bankrupt. And today, Ronnie's father is having a tough time giving his mother the lifestyle that she deserves. And of course, he feels guilty about it. He doesn't feel like he's providing for his family. And to make it even more sad, he has five individual pilots that took their lives after the crash of 9-11 and United mm. stock basically going to zero and going bankrupt. So this is a real thing. And I need to be more passionate about it and, and tell people because people get a, emotionally attached to the stock of the company they work at. And it, it, this is life and death. It really is a, is a real, real thing. FedEx pilots, the stock went down 40% in the last year. You want to know how many guys I know that own a ton of FedEx stock? Just don't do it. You have enough exposure. You don't want to put half of your life savings on the, the back of one company. No company's too big to fail. Enron, Lehman Brothers, Apple almost failed. Just don't do it. Boy, stories that uh, make you think for sure, and you've seen them firsthand, Ryan. So uh, not a fun situation that people find themselves in when they're overweighted and then things go badly. Sure, the good times are good, but the bad times then are really, really bad, and some people don't recover from them. And that's uh, it, it's as simple as that in many cases. So you're already working. You're already getting a lot of money from that company. Be careful tying up additional funds there, especially if you're going to need them in retirement. And uh, if you're going to need them, if you lose your job, if you lose your job and the company you lost your job from is also where all of your investments are. Now, now you're no longer in a good position either. So from some several different angles, you've got to be careful about getting overweighted in company stock. And I guess that's where we're going with this, Ryan. It's not that you can't have any company stock, right? Just you can't be so overweighted in it and reliant on it for the money that you must have for your future. Well, of course. And unfortunately, you know, there's human nature out there and it comes back to, you know, a good conversation would be Apple stock or Amazon stock. And my, my father, you know, taught me a, a great lesson long ago. And what he said was take the win. And what he meant by that is, you know, you've had a good run, take the money off the table. When you keep, you know, these stocks like, yes, I don't know how much more Apple's going to go up, you know, and you might have regrets if you do so Apple and it goes up another 20 or $30, but take the win, take the money off the table, take some of that risk and diversify it. And unfortunately, this is a conversation I have too often and, you know, you wouldn't think it would happen, but greed sets in for many, many individuals and we just want more and more and more. And you're putting yourself at exposure to market risk that you don't realize how, how tenuous it really is. Well, it's a great question, Dave. Thank you again for sending that one in to us. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a great idea to get a review of your financial plan if you indeed are, uh, you know, got a lot of company stock in your 401k. Might be time to reevaluate that for sure. Got another question here from Lisa. No location on Lisa, but Lisa says, I'd really like to meet with a financial advisor, but my husband says we're fine handling our investments ourselves. Is it okay to do this without help, Ryan? Well, I personally think that you, everyone out there needs a financial advisor because unfortunately, human nature causes us to make emotional decisions with our money. And we're way too emotionally attached 
to our, our retirement funds to make the proper decision in tough times. And unfortunately, I go to many, many events where there is a couple there, and this is kind of uh, the normal case where the husband has a little bit of macho ego going on that he's, he's got this when he really doesn't, and the wife is sitting there begging for help because they've gone through the ups and downs. He's picked those stocks that haven't worked out for them. They've lost money, and here they are getting close to retirement, and they're not in a position where they need to be. Yeah, such a tough uh, situation, Lisa. Obviously, Ryan's going to have a bit of a bias here, being a, <laughs> a financial advisor. But yeah, the uh, the people who do the DIY approach versus those who are getting professional help, I think you could uh, pretty easily draw a line there and show where the success is by having that person on your side, keeping you from making those emotional decisions versus going about it on your own without all the knowledge. And uh, it's just so interesting to look at that, uh, that kind of conversation when people want to do certain things on their own, Ryan, and uh, you know, certain DIY projects around the house that I like to you know, tackle myself. And then there are some things where I'm like, yeah, if I try that, it, it's going to look pretty bad. It's not going to be a very professional result. And it's okay if it's a little, pro- you know, hey, I'm going to do something in the garage. And if it goes wrong, well, it's the garage. It can look ugly. But when it's your financial life and your financial portfolio, you can't just do it and get a result that's you know 70% okay. You've got to make sure that you get that thing right and that it's professionally executed and done because there are no second chances for a lot of folks. In fact, almost everybody don't have uh, the opportunity, especially as you get closer to retirement, to make up for mistakes. Well, and unfortunately, Walter, you can't make any mistakes. Americans are not saving as much money as they need for retirement. Many have no clue how much money they need to put away to live the lifestyle that they're living now in retirement. I mean, the 4% rule, $40,000, you need a million dollars to spit out $40,000 in retirement and sustain it over 25 to 30 years. And if you look at it, 70% of Americans have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. Hearing that number makes me sick to my stomach. And unfortunately, I never had this burning desire to be a financial advisor, but it was something that I really had interest in, you know, the markets, finances, how to be disciplined and and save. And it it took me seeing my friends, people that I really, really cared about and seeing how much they didn't know and how much help they really needed that caused me to go down this path. I mean, I saw the need. I saw what people, you know, needed the help. They didn't have a real idea how to start saving for retirement, how to be disciplined, where to put their money, whether to put pre-tax, post-tax. And that's how I have a job now. And I actually am very passionate about it because the little tiny changes that you can make have drastic effects on your life. I had a a FedEx captain that I flew with and I really enjoyed him. He was a great guy. Uh, Both of his kids were out of the house, but we started talking finances a little bit. And I realized he had no um, liquid security at all. I mean, he had put nothing away. He was living paycheck to paycheck, just spending his money. And it's not because you know, it's not because he didn't didn't know any better. I mean, just nobody had really guided him. And here we are, three years later, and we have his four hundred one k rocking. And we just by paying himself first, getting him disciplined, putting some money away each month, he's got over eighty thousand dollars in a liquid taxable brokerage account. And he has a liquid security that he desires. And, and he just called me this week just thanking me for putting him on the right track. Sometimes it's the smallest of tweaks that then put us on the right path, Ryan. That's a great example of it there. So, And sometimes we just well, need that coaching to make it happen. Well, and the funny part is what he said to me that really hit home to me. And I, and I, I talk a lot about this. A lot of it's about setting it and forgetting it. 
and just being disciplined, he said that he didn't even notice the difference at home. They were living almost the exact same lifestyle. And here we are. He's built up that security for his family without even noticing the difference. It's great to hear and uh, fantastic at the improvement there. Wonderful. Thank you for the question, Lisa. Leads to good stories and discussion there. All right. One more question here, Ryan. This one comes to us from Cliff. Cliff says, I told myself that once I hit a million dollars in my portfolio, that I'd move a lot of money to cash. But now that I'm at a million, I'm thinking I can get to 1.2 before I make that move. What do you think? Well, I'm one of those people that, you know, speaking to Cliff here, I'm, I'm first of all, very happy that you set a goal for yourself and you worked towards that goal. You know, setting attainable goals is, is a great thing. But also, what's your time horizon on this? I think being invested in the market, it's a long-term game. And I think you should always be invested in the market. It sounds to me like maybe Cliff's time frame or risk tolerance might be changing at this point. And what I would what I would say to Cliff is let's discuss your situation, maybe figure out how your risk tolerance has changed, still be invested in the market, but maybe not have so much exposure to equities. The other big question here is like why, right? Why one point two? I mean, what's the motivating factor for why all of a sudden that becomes the new number? Are you just trying to get as much as possible before you make that move? Or is there a reason you need the extra 200K and continuing to take on that risk and that kind of thing? I mean, isn't that a big, big part of this? It's just, it just seems sort of arbitrary. I, I know it's only a two sentence question, but thought that there might be maybe a motivating factor here. Who knows, Walter? And you know, the one thing I've learned in this industry, it's fear and greed, fear and greed and nothing in between. And so, uh, you know, it just depends on what's going on in the market. And right now, there's been such huge gains. Everybody's trying to, to fight to get more and more and more. And on the backside, I know guys that are still sitting on the sidelines since 2008 and haven't taken uh, advantage of this four to 500% increase in the market. And uh, you just can't speculate and gamble with your money. You got, you got to be invested in the market, but you have to be invested with just enough risk exposure that's right for your situation. Well, thank you for the question, Cliff, and to Lisa, Dave, and Beth earlier on in the show as well. Really appreciate your insight and uh, your questions for Ryan leading us to some good discussion today. If you have questions of your own and you'd like to talk them out with Ryan, you can certainly call or text him at 843-475-3038. That's 843-475-3038. And you can also go online to FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. Get in touch through the website. Ask your questions to Ryan. We don't have to feature them on the show, by the way. If you want to just ask your question one-on-one to Ryan, you can certainly do that at as well. Email him at ryan at flemingfg.com. That's ryan at flemingfg.com to get directly in touch. And we'll put links and the uh, addresses and numbers to all of this in the description of today's show. So just check the show notes section on whatever app you're using to listen to today's show. And you can find information there on how to get in touch with Ryan as well. Ryan, appreciate you walking us through these questions. Enjoy the conversation and we'll look forward to another great show with you next time. We'll talk to you soon, Walter. You take care. All right. That's Ryan Fleming. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on The Pilot's Advisor. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.